Today on Yellowstone Teton's Travel Podcast. And so now, you know, standing in a boat, my rod tip is always in the water. But I can watch the little S's of my fly line in between my retrieves. And there are so many times that I'll just see one of those S's straighten just a little bit or just twitch. Give it a quick strip set and yeah, it'll just surprise you how many times that was a fish that was making it do that. And now you're getting to fight a fish. But if you can pick up on those real subtle takes, that's just another one of those puzzle pieces that makes you a better stillwater angler. Darren Huntsman on a killer stillwater tip to detect your next strike. Hebgen, Henry's, Jimmy's, and the ranch today on Traveled. Welcome to Traveled, where it's all about the journey we are all on in fly fishing and in life. This is our chance to take a deep dive into a specific area around the country so you have a better feel for the people, the resources, and the community that make this part of the country so unique. Before we jump into it with our guests, I want to share a little love with our Traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors, the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, and Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. And if you get a chance to visit a hotel, lodge, or any other business on that page, let them know you heard about them through this podcast and you'd be supporting this podcast and great local companies along the way. That's wetflyswing.com slash Teton, T-E-T-O-N. This week, Darren Huntsman breaks down some of the great stillwater fishing in eastern Idaho and beyond. You're going to get some huge tips for stillwater and a ton of passion. We're going to dig into it. We're going to make a connection to uh, to Phil Roy, as always, and uh, and this is a fun one. Time to experience the road less traveled. Let's jump into it stillwater style. Here we go. Darren Huntsman from stillwaterfishingco.com. How you doing, Darren? Dang good. How are you, Dave? Good, good. Thanks for putting the time together and uh, you know making this happen today. We're going to dig into stillwater fishing and talk about the lakes out in that part of Idaho. You're kind of on the east side, eastern Idaho, which we've been doing a lot of stuff out there. It's been really cool. It's been really river focused, and I've been trying. That's how we hooked up. I've been trying to look at putting together a trip out for stillwater fishing out there. So. We're going to get into all that today, um, but before we do, let's uh, take a real quick back because I know you have a lot of background and some Alaska stuff. How did you first get into fly fishing, and then we'll take it into all your other stuff? Yeah, hey, I appreciate the opportunity first off. Uh, I've listened to you guys, and and the content you put out is just, in my opinion, it's top line. So Appreciate that. Yeah, I grew up fishing. I'm pretty lucky. I was one of those kids that uh, got to grow up right on the edge of the river. So, yeah, it, fishing was, yeah, when I could hold the rod, I was fishing. My dad was big into fly fishing, fly tying. So from early on, you know, as soon as I could walk, I was his shadow, and, and we did a lot of things together. Huh. Where'd you guys, uh, what river did you grow up on? Right on the Snake River. We I grew up just outside of Shelley, Idaho, which is just outside of Idaho Falls. Uh, but, yeah, that that snake that you've been... Hearing some of the guys talk to on some of your previous podcasts, that that was right. Yeah, I could hit a golf ball into it. Yeah, you know that's the you know that area. Yeah, we just I think our most recent episode was one with the uh, the guys at the out of Pocatello that fly shop. Yeah, yeah, down Snake River Fly, good group of guys. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Nice. So so good. So you know this area very well. You've been out there a while. Um, so what was your journey like getting to, you have this, uh, you know, your site here, the stillwaterfishingco.com. How did this idea come to be? Why did you start a new website? Well, what we did is we just see so many people out there that 
thoroughly enjoy fly fishing our still waters. And it's an opportunity that is just waiting for a bunch of fishermen to discover it. I think probably to most guys, you know, especially the river and stream anglers, uh, you know, it's easy to be able to tell where those fish are. When a guy pulls up to a lake, it's it's daunting to say the least. But the reward to someone who learns it is just, in my opinion, unequaled. Yeah. What's that look like around? Because I think a lot of people you hear about, uh, you know, the Henry's Fork and some of the rivers we've talked about, and you hear about Hebgen Lake and some of these places, but... I mean, when you look at Eastern Idaho, if you focus in that part of the area where you grew up and everything, I mean, is it like, are there just as many still water opportunities as there are river opportunities? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, and not to demean by any by any way how much fun you can have on the Henry's Fork and the South Fork and the Teton River and Silver Creek, all of our wonderful world-class, you know, streams around here. But we have just as many world-class stillwater fisheries and I mean, it's, you know, I, I have this bucket list of places that I want to go, but it's really hard to just leave this area because like you said, we've got Hebgen Lake, we've got Henry's Lake, we've got Clark Canyon Reservoir, uh, Wade Lake, Cliff Lake. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And they are all really good fisheries. You know, they're, they're like the Henry's Fork in a way that sometimes these fish can get really particular on what they want to eat. Even more so in this area, I've heard Phil Rowley, and yeah. of course, he's one of my idols. I, you know, in the old days, I had, you know, big posters in my room of, you know, Kiss and Ben Halen and all that stuff. Now I got Brian Chan and <laughs> Phil Rowley and Dave Stewart, you know, all these guys. Anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Phil teaches is the DPR, depth pattern or depth retrieve pattern. DRP is what he teaches. And up here, it's almost I switch those back to into depth pattern retrieve because some of the fish up here can get so selective that, you know, there's been days that I've stood on the Henry's Fork and just, you know, worked so hard to find the pattern that those selective rainbows will eat. And it's no different when you're on Hebgen or you're on Henry's. Finding that piece of the puzzle and once you do, uh, yeah, the reward is great. That's right. And are there, you know, is the pressure, are there just as many people hitting the still waters as there are the rivers out there? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, anytime you go to a popular lake or a popular reservoir, you're going to have the marquee places on that reservoir that, that the fish congregate at. And thus, sort of the boats or the tubes or the pontoons. But there are always so many more opportunities on a still water that you can find and catch fish and get away from the people if that's what you want. Uh, to me, I think sometimes still waters can be almost a social event and that, you know, it, the fish will congregate in a certain area and, and so do the fishermen. And as long as you're courteous and you kind of follow the etiquette of, you know, two casts per boat, you know, give that kind of, of distance between boats, gosh, it's fun to hear what people are saying and, and watch what people are doing and and who knows, maybe even you'll figure the puzzle piece out and you're the one that gets to put the show on. And so, you know, it's just a really fun aspect of, of fly fishing. That's right. Nice. Well, this is good. Well, I'm I'm probably going to be heading back out there again sometime, hopefully hopefully this year. Heck yeah. Yeah. What is it? So if, if we're heading out there, somebody's heading out there, I mean, where do they start if they haven't fished any still waters out in that? I mean, they've heard about the big ones. 
and those would be sure. fun to hit for sure. But what would you recommend? Where does somebody start to plan a trip? Oh, I think some of the sleeper reservoirs that we have now, you know, as you've heard on other podcasts, uh, you know, we're we're in a very big ag area. So most of our still waters are going to be reservoirs that are drawn down for ag use, uh, irrigation, that kind of thing. So earlier in the years, you start kind of down low uh, in some of these these ag areas because the fishing is better. The water stays up, stays cooler. You know, we've got just the ones around here. I can think of Daniels Reservoir down south, Chesterfield, uh, Weston, uh, Hawkins Reservoir. Those are down south. And so they're the ones that are going to ice off earliest. And then from there, we're going to move out to Mackey Reservoir, uh, which is just uh, west of Idaho Falls, about an hour and a half. You got Clark Canyon Reservoir, which is north of Idaho Falls, just barely into Montana. And then, then you get up into Henry's and Hebgen and, and Sheridan Ranch and some of those. And they're just, you know, it, oh, the opportunity is everywhere. Right. And when you think of like the Hebgen Lake, Henry's Lake, those versus some of these other ones, what is the big difference between, say, a Hebgen Lake and any of the, these other ones? Well, Hebgen's a big body of water. And so up there, you've got to know basically where you're going to go. You know, most of these others, even Henry's, is is not a big reservoir per se. And so, you know, you can you can buzz around in a little boat and, and fish several different places. Hebgen's a little different area. It's it's big water and it's it's different water. Myself, I like to stay up on the Madison Arm end. You know, you get up in the Grayling and Madison Arms and and not only is it shallower and so you get more feeding fish in that area, but there's just there's just lots of them. And of course, the bug life, when you get the gulpers up there, that's, that's so fun. And, you know, even when they're sipping on dries, you can get them underneath real easy too. Right, right, right. Yeah, everywhere you go. Yep. So you think fishing wise, I mean, fishing, like you said, there's some pressure, but you have no problem finding fish out there on the still water. Right. You know, just, just for example, I mean, the Henry's Fork, when we get the good hatches going in, you know, June and July, it's just... It's so fun up there, but you've got to be there early enough and kind of stake your territory out or there's just enough people that, you know, it, it can turn into a little bit of not fun. The South Fork, goodness sakes, it's it's such a, a tremendous river uh, and you're going to see that when you come up, but everybody, you know, especially the guides, the, the traffic on that river, is, the joke is you got to take your own thermos full of water to float your boat. There's so many people on it and it, you know, it's frustrating Yeah. Uh, when you pull into a boat landing up there and you've got a dozen boats launching in front of you and, you know, and you're there early. Uh, yeah, it gets frustrating. You go to the Stillwaters, you can pull up to Henry's Lake and have 30 other rigs sitting in the parking lot, you know, boat trailers, but you can get out in areas where if you're fishing with one or two boats, maybe, or you can find areas up there where there's absolutely nobody. And it's the same way with Ebden. And most of our other reservoirs are like that. They just don't get the pressure. So that's one of the big advantages of the still water is that you just, you can actually find a spot where you're not going to be pressured, really. Yeah, that's one of the advantages. Like I tout, my favorite thing about still waters is the fish are bigger, plain and simple. You know, they just, they grow bigger, uh, especially when we have our reservoirs that are getting planted with triploids uh, and those fish grow really fast. And yeah, like our motto is on our site is, you know, we measure our fish in pounds, not inches. Right. And I've heard Phil say things similar to that. And and uh, Phil's slogan is the very best one. And that's never stop learning. And it is a puzzle every day. And yeah, if you, if you think you know it all, 
uh, you're going to get your butt handed to you real quick. Right, right. Do you do a little bit of everything as far as kind of the, you know, indicator stuff and dry, like a little bit of everything? Yeah, most of what I'd like to do, and my focus is on cast and retrieve. Uh, you know, that's what I like to teach. That's, uh, that's my passion when I get on a still water. And I'm not saying by any means that indicator fishing does not work because it, it, it has changed stillwater fishing basically for, for the people that, that want to get out there and be successful. Indicator is by far the shortest learning curve and the easiest way to keep your fly down where those fish are. Yeah. Yeah. I love it because I take my wife out. I take my, my grandkids out and, you know, getting my grandkids in the boat and getting them onto fish with an indicator. That's a blast. Right. Right. That's one of the cool things, right? With the, the kids. It's just, Oh, Absolutely. That's and and that's one of the focuses of Stillwater Fishing Co. is is we've got to get our kids fishing. You know that's that's how I learned it. I mean, it was that was a big deal when I was a kid. We got done with chores, and it was all the cousins and and uncles and granddads and and off to the reservoir we'd go and load into a couple of boats, and we'd have a blast. And that was a that was a big thing. And if we don't keep that going, we're gonna, we're going to lose our industry. Right. What's the boat of choice? Do you have like, are you like Phil where you got a bunch of boats or do you got one boat you like to use? Well, I, yeah, I don't have a bunch of boats. I, I have a pontoon. I have a float too, because we've got some, some areas that you can't fish with a, you know, with a motor on it. And man, if you gave up on those little places, we've got one down South that's called 24 mile reservoir that grows some tremendous fish, but you can't use a motor on it. So pontoons and float tubes are perfect. But my boat of choice, yes, I have a old 16 foot Klamath. Uh, that's, you know, really deep, real stable. And yet it's got that, that deep D on the front. So I can, I can get through the chop and, and get out of trouble real quick. Yep. Uh, it's got a little 40 horsepower and oh, it's, wow. yeah, it's, it's my favorite boat. Uh, really fun to fish out of. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, I know, I know the Klamath, those are pretty popular boats and uh, do you take it? I mean, I guess you got a little trolling motor on it as well. I know that's, that's one thing I will have this year is a trolling motor on it. Just simply to move from place to place a lot of times you get out and i i love to anchor up and and fish the water around me and you know there's a lot of times that you find out that you're maybe just 40 yards one way or the other from where you need to be and i hate starting my outboard up just to move it that far and so yeah a little trolling motor will be perfect for just moving around real quiet you bet right 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 nice and what is your what's the gear look like so if we're on the water Let's take it. I always like to think of a case study, you know, or, uh, you know, a lake, like what would be, you know, we talked about Hebgen. That's probably a popular, what would be another one that maybe somebody could easily get up to? What would be a good example here? Well, probably uh, one of the easiest and one of the sleepers that we've got around here is down South and that's Chesterfield Reservoir. And it's outside of a little resort town called Lava Hot Springs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know that area. Yeah. Yeah. It lives right up to that name. It's got a great soaking pool there. Oh, it does. Yeah, and so whenever we fish Chesterfield, that's you will stay right in Lava, which is only you know it's twenty five miles from the reservoir, and so. Oh, this is perfect. So you just made this. Yeah. Is, now we're building the trip. I was thinking about like the hot spring. So we got. Oh yeah, and from and from there you can yo you bet that's nothing better than than being out on the lake all day long and throwing that rod and then coming back at night and soaking. Oh yeah. Can you get a drift boat in there? Pretty is that a drift boat lake? Yeah, you could put a drift boat in it because there's that's one of the lakes that there is really good fishing very close to where you can launch a, a boat or a tube or a pontoon. There's 
when we go down there, there's a lot of guys that come up from the, you know, Salt Lake Ogden area in Utah and, and fish those Southern reservoirs. And we see a lot of guys in tubes and, but just not the, not the number of people that you would expect. But yeah, Chesterfield's a fun little reservoir. You pull up to that and, uh, the upper part of it is on an Indian reservation and you can't fish that, which is strange, you know, because most Indian reservations, you know, we have great fishing on reservations. You got Pyramid Lake and you got the Duck Creek Indian Reservation down south and gosh, great lakes on there. But anyway, Chesterfield, you can't fish the top end, but most of the fish I, I think hold in the bottom two thirds of that reservoir anyway. And, uh, there are rainbows in there, fishing game plants, uh, triploids. Uh, so those fish will grow pretty fast. Uh, it gets a lot of pressures from the locals. You know, you'll get the guys out there with their, their kids and their grandkids on the bank. You've got some good bank access on that reservoir, but yeah, if you can get out and explore, you know, the other sides of the reservoir and the deep end down around the dam is, is some of my favorite. By the dam. And what is that? What, uh, is it damming up? Was that a, what stream is that? Uh, you know what? It's the top end of the Portniff river. Oh, Okay. And so, and, and that river goes down through, uh, Lava Hot Springs and, and has tremendous stream fishing down in that area and then goes down into, uh, through Pocatello and then dumps into the Snake River just, oh, wow. just above, I believe, American Falls Reservoir. So. Oh, gotcha. Yep. There you go. Wow. That's cool. So there's one cool lake and like you said, Lava Hot Springs. Yeah, and you could stay there, and from there you could go over and fish Western Reservoir. You could go over and fish Daniels, which is another one of of Southeast Idaho's trophy designated stillwaters. You got Hawkins. There's there's probably a half a dozen that you could hub out of lava and zip around and fish these different reservoirs and just have a blast. Wow, this is great. So let's take it to that Chesterfield. So if you were going there, what would be your setup? What rod and what line? What would you be fishing there? I definitely starting off, I mean, like all of the Stillwater gurus teach it, you know, most of your feeding fish are going to be in that, that 12 feet and shallower type water. So my choice down there would be one of Rio's intermediate, you know, their Camo Lux line, uh, probably fishing with about a nine foot leader, nine to 10 foot leader. And then my favorite down there, uh, to start off in the morning would be a black and blue bruised leech in probably about a size 10. And then when the sun comes up, I'll put on a little teeny blood leech, a baby blood leech in a 12 or a 14. And they just, they love that bug down there. They do. And then, and that's something that you're casting and, and kind of stripping in. You bet. Cast, count it down, uh, you know, find the depth. One of the most important things I've got on my boat is my hummingbird, you know, fish finder, but I don't use it to find fish. It's basically find my temperature and find my depth. That depth is so important. Right. And how do you find that depth? How do you find the right depth? Well, just, you know, number one is is knowing what the depth is. You know, if you pull up to an area and you don't know what that depth is, then you're you're having to do a lot more puzzle work to find out where those fish are. With your finder, you can pull up. You know that you're in 12 feet of water. Intermediate line, I'm going to count that thing down probably 30 seconds and then slow strip. And if I don't pick anything up there, I'll count it down a little bit more until I find the depth that they want to, you know, that the fish are at. Right, right, right. So you have the intermediate. And then what would be the lines you'd have on the boat with you fishing that reservoir? Oh my gosh. Well, I've got my real bag, so I've got them. I've yeah. pretty much got them all. But if I've, I've usually got three rods rigged up and those rods are going to have a hover line in case those fish are in really shallow. 
I'm going to have my intermediate and I'm going to have a sink three. And I figure if you've got those three lines, you pretty much can fish any still water anywhere. Now, you notice that I didn't have a floating line in there. Yeah. And that's that's probably one of my biggest differences between how I teach and how I like to fish versus most of the other still water guys. And I do not like floating lines. I'm not saying that they're not a tool that you've got to have because up on Hebgen, when the gulpers get going, if you don't have a floating line, you're you're missing the boat. But 99% of my fishing is done with at least a hover that will get it under the, the surface of the water. Because up here, we always are going to have some type of breeze. And if if your line is sitting on top of the water, that wind can affect it. And if you've got belly in your line, you're missing fish. So my, you know, the number one thing that I teach on still waters is, is to get that that line underneath the water so that the wind can't create another belly. It's tough enough to feel those fish, especially if they're taking it soft. So if you've got any belly on top of the water, oh, fish can pick it up soft and spit it out. You don't even know it. Right, right, gotcha. So, you know, make your cast. Uh, if a guy can make a perfect straight, perfect cast every time, that's great. I can't. Uh, you know, I've always got my little S's and my, you know, sometimes my fly wants to go one way or the other from where my leader ends. But the very first thing that I do is after I make my cast is make a couple of really quick strips to get everything tight and to get it under the water. Now I've got a straight line and if a fish picks it up as it's falling, I'm going to feel that. If I just make my cast out there and then start counting it down, the fish picks it up on the fall, you're never going to feel it. So yeah, get that straight line, make a couple of strips, get a straight line and then, and then let it sink your desired depth. And then you've got a great contact between you and your fly. Mm-hmm. And on that bruise leech, what's the type of fly? Is that a like what type of hook are you using there when you're tying that? Uh, you know, my, my favorite hook right now is the hammock. They are so strong. They're they're tough to find. Fly Fish Food has them. Uh, so, you know, I, I always make orders to them with them. I played a lot with the Firehole 839, and I just, I love the looks of that hook and the heavy wire, but I just have had too many of them fail on me. And so, I, yeah, Daiichi, I love those hooks. Uh, TMCO, uh, you know, all of the good high quality hooks out there will work. Yeah. Good. Good. So you had some, uh, I recently did some seminars. Were you at the flight tying the uh, East Idaho, uh, the flight? Yeah. Tying? Yeah. yeah. Our, our Southeast Idaho flight tying and fly fishing expo that's put on by the snake river cutthroats. That's our, our local TU and FFI chapter. But yeah, that was, that was a great expo. In fact, I heard your podcast with Bruce Staples and he's He's an icon in this area just because he's been so involved with fly fishing forever. He has. Is that what makes Bruce unique is that he's just been there doing stuff? Oh, and he knows his stuff. He can tie with anyone. He just, when you, you have names of Mike Lawson and, and all of the iconic names. Well, Bruce is right there. He, he knows his stuff right there with everybody else. Is there, is there a Stillwater person out there that's kind of the same level as, you know, those guys like a Mike Lawson? Yeah, there is my brother. Uh, I've got a brother, Wade, uh, which is up at the college in Rexburg. And he is, you know, he's really quiet, really reserved about it, but he's an artist. And being an artist, his flies are, I mean, they're just, they're works of art. And uh, yeah, he, he studies lakes and the etymology around those lakes and then makes his bugs just, yeah, they're just perfect. 
but he he also he has the touch with a fly rod in his hand. There's I don't think there's anybody better on a Stillwater anywhere in this country than than him. And is he kind of behind the scenes, or does he have some stuff out there like as far as website and everything? Yeah, no, he's uh like I said, art is his big deal. Uh, my dad was an artist uh, with oils, and uh, Wade was the one that picked up that passion and and really ran with that. But he's yeah, he's not just an artist with a brush. You get a fly rod in his hand, and and there's not many people. I've heard a lot of the old timers up on Henry's Lake and Hebgen and stuff like that say that you know there's nobody better on the water than Wade is, and I I concur. You know, it's tough as an older brother to say that your younger brother is a better fisherman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's one. I've learned a lot from Wade. Right. Right. That's pretty cool. What is so, you know, I mean, we've been doing a lot of uh, episodes out there trying to tell the story of that part of the country in Idaho. For you, what is it, you know, that you really, that kind of makes it different or you, you think about it? Like, why is it so unique out there? Yeah, it's, well, to me, it's home. You know, I've, I've lived a, a short stand in a couple of different areas of the country, but very short. I spent, you know, a bunch of years, a couple of decades running trips up into Alaska. And, uh, you know, it just, I don't know how many times I thought, I need to move up here. This is just, you know. But when you look at the overall opportunity of what we have to do, Southeast Idaho, you, it's tough to beat this part of the West, whether it's Southwest Montana you know, or here in, in Southeast Idaho, there, we just, our opportunities, whether you like to hunt, fish, ski, uh, yeah, it's just, you can keep going all the time. Yeah. It's good. It's got everything. So you're up in the, now, where'd you go in Alaska? Uh, we ran, we ran trips out of a little river that's a tributary of the Yetna River. Uh, we'd go into Anchorage and then catch a float plane out of Anchorage for 45 minutes or so and, and fish a river that is just, yeah, it's small. I uh, had a tremendous run of Chinook salmon come up. It, of course, it has runs of all five, but yeah, the kings are what we were chasing, and they were just, yeah. I, I turned into a big fish addict really early on in life, and I think that's probably why I like Stillwaters is our fish are bigger, but yeah, those big old dudes up there, uh, we averaged between 28 and 30 pounds of fish up there, and when you'd get one of those on a fly rod, you were doing a an upper arm workout for a good half hour. Wow, so you guys are catching Chinook on the fly. Oh, you bet. Wow. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the fishing that we would do up there and a lot of fishing we do around here for steelhead and salmon is, you know, with real good uh drift gear. Otherwise a eight and a half, nine foot rod Loomis or or some of the others and and then use a level wind reel that uh where you can just, you know, bump your rig down along the bottom real light and uh you know, it's it's every bit as technical and as fun as fishing with a fly rod but you get up there on that kind of river and when you get those fish holding in fly conducive waters oh my gosh it's fun right and this is the the yetna is this a trip to like the lower susitna uh yeah the yetna actually dumps into the yet into the susitna and then the river that we were fishing which is it's pretty popular up there you get a lot of guides uh fishing it especially the lower end and that's lake creek and that was our river Okay, Lake Creek, because there's the Squetna. Squetna is up there too, right? Yes, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Lake Creek was fun because it's just crystal clear water most years, and, you know, we had a tremendous run of fish, and the lake that we'd land the float plane on also had a little cabin on it, and we'd get a stay-in cabin so it'd stay, you know, dry and warm, and you didn't have to worry about the mosquitoes or the bears quite as much. But then we'd just, we'd fish, you know, the a good mile of the river where we just 
every day don our waders and take off with our backpacks and spend the day on the river and and uh yeah those fish they were half satan you'd stick a hook in them and they just go ballistic wow and so for the and the chinook and describe that again so you're up there you're doing a little bit of fly and then a mix of like some drift fishing too yeah, we do both. Uh, you know, most of the guys that I would take up there were, were steelhead fishermen from down here. And so, you know, when I'd book those guys, if, if a couple of their group were good steelhead fishermen and knew how to, how to fish for them, they'd have a blast up there because it was the same kind of fishing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the same way. You guys who would take their, their two-handed rods and wanted to swing for them or my druther up there is, is basically nymph for them, you know, almost, almost like a Euro nymphin. But that hadn't come along yet, so we were doing it that way with a little bit of a weighted egg-sucking leech, and those those kings loved it. Yeah. And that kind of fishing up there, it was extreme. You know, those fish, they'd take off down the river, and you either broke them off or you went with them. And, uh, you know, so you were scrambling sometimes a couple hundred yards before you could get a net on them. Wow. A lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. Then you eventually, was that something you just did for a few years, and then you kind of ended doing it? Yeah, I actually ran trips from 91 until 2015. And oh, wow. Alaska's, their Department of Fishing game up there, they're very conservative when it comes to their salmon runs in most aspects, I need to say. Uh, when they have a drainage that has one river that goes bad, otherwise take the Susitna drainage, you have the Deshka River up there, which is really, really popular. But when the Deshka has poor returns, it pretty much limits the whole drainage. So it got to the point where I'd get guys up there and we didn't know whether our river was going to stay open to fish for kings. And that's what everybody was targeting. All right. Yeah. The, the last year that we went up there, they shut the river down the last two days of my last group. And so, you know, I mean, luckily we have pike in the lake and it's a trophy designated river. And so we have rainbows. We've got rainbows pushing 30 inches up there and, and true rainbows, not steelhead. So that's awful fun, but that's not what my guys were going up there for. So. 2015 was the last year that we actually did that and uh we'd love to get back up there and play on that river again it's just yeah a special place right how do you how have you filled your time not going up to i mean you were up there for almost 25 years what have you been doing filling your summers like now still waters if i get a chance to fish now uh i'm on a lake yep that's it wow yeah and so the website so how are you what's the plan there on the website what's your hope there well, Stillwater Fishing Co., what we started out is is more of an awareness company. You know, we just, we kind of want to do two things with it. Number one is we want to be the brand that people who, who love to fish Stillwaters, they want to wear it. You know, I've got a whole closet full of, of steelhead gear because I love to fish for steelhead. And, uh, you know, I, I love their stuff. I love the look of it. But when I get out on a Stillwater, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, they have the same passion as fishing for steelhead. And so, you know, our little fish with our Stillwater logo in it, uh, I think it's cool looking. And we've got good stuff on our website and it's it's functional. And we want to grow that clothing line. But we're also going to partner with, with lodges and uh, guides that are Stillwater specific. We're working with some stuff on some guys down at Pyramid Lake. I love to go down there during the winter because it's the only place I can fish. So I'll make, you know, half a dozen trips down there over the winter. And, uh, yeah, we want to partner with people down there on that lake and on Henry's and on Hebgen and, you know, Crowley Lake and all of these lakes we hear that are popular all across the country. Yeah. We, yeah, we want to, we want to be part of that. We love the culture and, and it's just something that we think, uh, will work in the culture. Yeah. 
Why do you think it is that uh, Stillwater, I mean, it definitely some people, uh, it's gotten traction. I mean, I've been fishing for Stillwater for a long time, but it's still, why do you think it hasn't got as much traction as, say, the river fishing? Oh, it's harder. There's no doubt. I mean, when people pull up to it, you know, you can't tell that, you know, where those fish are, are feeding or where they're holding or, you know, you can't even see any of the the terrain like you can on a river and, and such. But... I think that's part of what makes it so much fun. You know, I've done all the river stuff. I'm old enough. I've done all that stuff. And, and this new puzzle is just, it's non-ending. Every reservoir, you have to figure it out every day because what works one day may not work the next day. Now, generally speaking, you know, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to work, but there's been days up the, on these lakes that, you know, you start off and, and you get a good bite going and then everything dies. And then that's when the puzzle starts is, especially when the fish are still working around you, what are they, you know, what depth are they at? Uh, there's just so many puzzle pieces that you get to figure out. And that's what's so fun about Stillwaters. Right. We recently had Phil, uh, he was on and did a kind of like a, you're new to a lake sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah. I love those, those new literal zone podcast. You bet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The little zone. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. We got, uh, you know, the opportunity obviously to have Phil and, but it's, uh, you know, again, there's always little things and every lake is a little bit different. Do you think when you learn something from a lake, say Hebgen, can you approach another lake or do you think it's, you can use the same techniques to approach another new lake around the country? Oh, most certainly. I don't, like Phil says, you're always learning. And a guy that doesn't chalk that up and, and think about it, you know, that's one of the biggest things about a lake is when I go fish a lake and it, it gets the better of me, that just fuels my fire to not only learn more about that lake, but other techniques that I can use to make me more successful on any lake. Yeah, I love Phil's part where he says, you know, when you pull up to a lake, take a minute, you know, look around, you know, too many of us get in a hurry to get out there and and get fishing and we miss too much of what's you know what's to be seen you know where are the birds feeding uh why are they there you know there's just there's so many puzzle pieces that you can do before you even get in your boat yeah that's pretty cool but let's go back to the uh the seminars that you're yeah. at the uh southeastern so i didn't make it out there i wanted to and i wasn't able to so we had bruce describe it give us a little description from your end what was that event like oh it was a lot of fun i mean when you can go and watch, you know, 40 fly tires a session do different things and, and different bugs, uh, different techniques of, of tying, you know, like I said, you never quit learning. And so you're, you're always watching those guys. So you had a big group of people tying and then you had some seminars. Oh, that were, yeah. 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 They have three sessions on the first day, two sessions on the second day. And you've got, yeah, between, you know, two dozen and three dozen tires just going at it and you can walk around and watch them sit down visit with them uh one of the coolest tires there was a a young man out of arco uh, named dave hansen as a young man he was uh in a car accident and uh busted his neck and he's got very limited use of his hands but he ties still and he ties some of the most some of the coolest atlantic salmon flies then he puts them in a box and it's just yeah it was fun to sit there and visit with him i've known him forever uh, known his family when he had that accident and, and watched how strong he's been. He's been a really good influence on a lot of people, but those guys and, and, uh, yeah, just so many noted tires that were there and not just the tying. Gosh, you know, they had a casting pool there for the first time. 
Uh, we had seminars, uh, clinics, the ladies' clinics were really well attended. The youth clinics were attended. I was tickled to death with how well the seminars that I put on on stillwater fly fishing. Uh, yeah, what what did you cover? Uh, basically, just the you know the basics of fly fishing on lakes. Uh, what you look for, what kind of equipment you use, techniques, flies, all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it was just so well attended. I couldn't believe how many people would come up to my booth afterwards and continue this, you know, the, the talk. And anytime I can talk fishing, I'm in heaven. But I've had several people reach out and they want to know if we're going to put on classes. And that's part of what Stillwater Fishing Co. is all about is, is to educate people. You know, if I can shorten the learning curve of someone who's going out on a lake, it's going to make it more fun. They're going to grab a couple more people and take it out. They're going to teach them. You know, there's there's flies and techniques and and little little tips that that I hold really close to my to my vest. But at the same point, there's so many things that I see people doing wrong and just just not knowing. And if I can, if we can help shorten that learning curve for people, man, they're going to fall in love with fishing still waters too. And that's the thing. Yeah, that's right. What are your, you know, as far as your flies, you talked about a couple of them, but you have to give us a list to say your, your top, you know, eight or nine or 10 flies. What would those be? Well, you know, and, and everybody's got their favorite flies. And with the, I think the lakes in the Northwest, we get, you know, real prolific bug hatches. And so, you know, a, a favorite list of flies that I might fish on Chesterfield is going to be completely different than what I'm going to use on Hedgen, which is going to be different than Henry's and different than Clark Canyon, you know. But if if I had one bug to use, it would be that baby blood leech. Uh, you know, I hear Phil and Brian talk about baby leeches. Brian especially, talk, Brian Chan talks about baby leeches. And I don't think fish are much different than us. I think they, I think some of these bugs taste better to them or maybe they prefer to eat it you know it's no different than us when we go out and have a steak we don't want you know some 15 year old range bowl some big right. dude to eat we we want that young that young cut of meat and and i think those those fish love those baby leeches and that yeah that baby blood leech using uh arizona semi-seal in that blood leech i think it's number 27 color with a little bit of wine uh marabou on the bottom and I think one of the biggest mistakes people make with their bugs is they, they tie them too bulky. There's nothing in the Stillwater realm other than maybe a dragonfly nymph that's got any bulk to him at all. You know, and, and most of my bugs are just so thin and sparse and they just work. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a just with fly tag in general, especially starting out that that's what people do. They tend to put too much on, right? And probably less is more. Yeah, yeah, you you hear that old adage that flies catch fishermen, not fish. And yeah, you know, I I walk into fly shops and I just uh, sometimes I marvel that people can can actually you know, especially when you get into your smaller stuff, you get into your calabatus and your caddis uh, pupa and you know your damselfly imitations and your leeches. I just most of them are just way too bulky and yeah, gaudy. Yeah. What about the uh, the private lakes up there? I know you mentioned one off air. We were talking Sheridan Lake. Are there a few of those? You know, we don't have a lot of private lakes around here that actually, you know, that, that you can fish, uh, what do I want to say, in the warmer months. You know, most of the private lakes are down low, and so they, they get mossed up really fast. And Is that how Sheridan is? No, not at all. Sheridan is one of our high country reservoirs. It's, uh, yeah, it's a cool little place. It's uh, Eagle Ridge Ranch. Uh, 
Matt Hyde, who is Lemoyne Hyde of Hyde Driftboat. That's his son, and he runs that. Has run it for years and years, and it is just a special place at Sheridan Ranch. Just to go over it real quick, that the guy that owns it uh, is Frank Vandersloot, who owns Melaleuca. Anyway, when he bought the property, he he had a a company come in and uh, do some work on the stream because it was so poorly eroded, and you know the cattle have been going through it and everything. And anyway. They gave him a price, and he says, well, triple that. Make it unbelievable. And so not only is the the Stillwater great and has wonderful fishing for rainbows, but the Sheridan Creek that runs through that ranch, uh, yeah, it, it'll make you drool because you'll see fish in there. There are 24, 26-inch rainbows that come up out of Island Park Reservoir and just end up living there because there's so much food in there. And Oh, so they can come up from Island Park and get into Sheridan. Yes, they can. And and the cool thing about it is, I mean, Island Park Reservoir has a, a pretty big population of suckers. And, uh, you know, most people look down on those those trash fish type species, suckers, chubs. But, man, they create an awful lot of food every year when they run up Sheridan Creek and spawn. And then those fish have all of those fry to feed on. And they just, yeah, they grow awful big up there. Right. So then that's kind of the thing with, well... And a lot of still are, it's the food, right? I mean, that's yeah, the thing, oh, these yeah. fish are, in, especially there, because you're in the, essentially you're in the kind of the desert, right? I mean, it's hot, it's, it's big growing season. Yep, yep, we are high country, yeah, high desert up here. There's no doubt about it. It's it's unforgiving country once you get out of the water. Yeah, right, right, that's cool. And then what is a typical, are you fishing in August, you're hitting the high mountain in August, are you fishing through the whole summer out there on the still waters? Yeah, we, we can find water pretty much all summer long up here, uh, you know, even... Henry's and Hebgen and Clark Canyon Reservoir, Mackey Reservoir, we can fish those late into the year because they've got, you know, they're either at the altitude or they've got the water depth that you can find cool water where those fish, you know, not only can you fish for them, but you can do it ethically because it's it's not stressing them. Yeah, not stressing. Okay. And if somebody was going to, you know, back to that planning of the trip, is there a some sort of a guide or, you know, if somebody wanted to see all these lakes, is there a book or something out there you'd recommend? Oh, you can, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there that that you can get on, you know, our InfoNet and just Google everything. But if I were to make a trip up here, yeah, the, you definitely got to fish Henry's Lake. Yeah, so Henry's is one you got to hit. We're in a little bit of a down cycle on that lake right now, but hopefully it'll come back, you know, to where we're catching as many big fish as what historically we've had in there. The new world record was taken out of there last year for the, you know, the, the Henry's Lake cutthroat and then they hybridize them with another you know with a rainbow and it they tell they just turn into a mean fish and we had one that was yeah big old fish came out of there last year wow so henry's is a good one and how big is henry's versus hebgen oh not not even close yeah hebgen's probably four or five times bigger than henry's but it's yeah it's uh they're different types of fishery uh mostly you got rainbows and browns in hebgen uh, you got cutthroats and the cutbow hybrids and brookies in Henry's. And so they're different species. They act different, but that's what makes it so fun. And then you got to hit Wade Lake and Cliff Lake that are right there in that, that same little loop. You know, you, you take Henry's, Hebgen, Cliff Lake, Wade Lake. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's a bunch of them right in there that you could just have a blast. Right, right. And then you got, uh, what about the Island Park Reservoir? You know, Island Park Reservoir, 
is another one of those reservoirs that can be really good or it's just so it goes with cycles that reservoir draws down a lot every year and it it seems like we have more of a problem with chubs and different things like that and so every once in a while fishing game I'll, I'll take and try to do things to increase you know that fishery it used to be a blast i mean it had rainbows that were pushing double digits and yeah, it wasn't nothing to go on the west thumbs and and get out in your float tube and and be able to find some of those fish, but it it struggled in the years past. But it'll it, again it'll come back and and then maybe Henry's will turn off and we can fish Island Park Reservoir while Henry straightens up. It, it always seems in the high mountain lakes we have that cycle. Oh, those are high mountains. So you Henry's bet. is a high mountain lake. Yeah, you most certainly. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Okay, so. Let's take this for example. So if we're coming up there and, and we got Phil coming and we are going to meet up and bring a few people out there, what would be the trip you would put together for us? Oh, man, a couple of days of school on Sheridan so that everybody gets it down and then go fish Hedden and Henry's and Wade Lake. I mean, you could, yeah, you got you to gotta spend some time on Henry's if the, if the weather lets you. Yeah. So you leave it open. You say, hey, we're going to hit yeah. these lakes. We're not going to be at one. And then is there a... And then what would you say for a place to stay, like a lodging sort of thing? Oh, my gosh. There, you know, if you're going to fish Sheridan, uh, Eagle Ridge Ranch has some great little cabins there at their facility. But then we've got lodges all up and down. We've got, you know, places to stay, lots of Airbnb opportunities. Yeah, lots of stuff out there. Lots of cabins. I mean, there's, yeah. Yeah, tons of resources. Cool. So I think that would be something would be fun to do. Yeah, if I had to recommend one place in the Island Park area to stay, it would be the Angler's Lodge there in Last Chance or Trout Hunter. Angler's Lodge, I'm kind of particular to that because I did all the stonework on the outside of that. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm a stonemason by trade, and so there's a lot of places up there that have got my signature on them. No kidding. That's pretty cool. What about that story about the guy the um, up on the, uh, at the, what is it, the headwaters of uh, the North Fork, the, the guy that was building? Do you know that story? Oh, you probably mean johnny's cabin yeah johnny's cabin the, the little guy right yeah the big spring yeah so let's see johnny Sachs, i think is yeah johnny Sachs, exactly anyway yeah he was a, a a trapper and explorer back in the day and before anybody had moved in there he built a cabin and he was really short and i'm not a i'm not a big guy and so i kind of i kind of <laughs> relate with that a little bit but yeah all of his doorways on that cabin where it's on big springs and that's the headwaters of the henry sport of the Henry's Fork, yeah. Yeah, it pumps out like 55,000 gallons a, a minute and just is crystal clear. Wow. Yeah, and the, yeah, Johnny's cabin is on the other side of that. It's a pretty cool place. And of course, you're so close to Yellowstone. If the guy comes up here and fishes, you got to go into Yellowstone, even even if you just go in to see all the fly shops in West Yellowstone. That's a lot of fun. I know. So that, that's the cool. I think that's one of the things that separates, you know, this area that makes it cool is that, you know, we're sitting here talking about these lakes, which are, you know, great, famous lakes. But at the same time, you know, you're you're just you're shooting distance for almost from Yellowstone Park, right? Oh my gosh, yes. You know, if you took a two hour drive from where we're at in Idaho Falls, you you've just got endless fishing opportunities. It's just you don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is a question that keeps I keep thinking about out there because, you know, Idaho, you always, you know, the Montana is kind of the big one and then Wyoming is kinda of has some you know, obviously Yellowstone's kind of mainly, I guess, in Wyoming, but Idaho seemed like it was always the Lord. Do you feel like, you know, from growing up that things have really been growing a lot since you were a kid or in the fly fishing is more popular? Has it always been really popular in Idaho? Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, you know, 
when I grew up doing it, I, you know, I had a lot of buddies that did it too, just because that's, I mean, that's what we did. Everybody was doing it. So you probably yeah. didn't know it. It's yeah. like everybody did it. It felt like everybody was doing it. Yeah. But, oh, we've definitely seen changes. You know, you, you go up into the Teton Valley and that valley used to be just so hidden and unknown that Teton River was just a gem and it still is, but it's just, you know, we're turning into Park City and, and Vail and Aspen. We just, you know. It, we're we're gonna love it to death. That's one of the problems that we've got. With some of our reservoirs is we're building these big old cabins and big old homes on it, and then you know we put the septic systems in, and all that water's got to go somewhere. And pretty soon we've got lakes that we're basically fertilizing to grow algae and more moss than than what they're what they're designed to do, and that can hurt our fish. But yeah, we live in a great part of the country. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, I think they, we got to. Some good opportunity. I mean, I'm kind of like mastermind trying to put together something, you know, to put, we obviously have the Euro uh, school that's going to be going uh, this fall, which right. is going to be fun. And we're going to get up there and I'm going to do a little exploring, but I, I would like to come back next year, you know, sometime and do the Stillwater thing. So I think, you know, we'll definitely. Oh, there'd be a great opportunity. And yeah, that was one of the things that we noticed at the expo is people are just hungry to learn more about fish and still waters or fly. Oh, you, you notice that? Oh, definitely. You bet. And if, like I said, if those guys who learn and already know how to do it, if we don't pass that on to these other people, you know, we're, we're going to lose the interest in it because, you know, no matter how way, how you look at it, still water fishing with a fly rod is, is tough business. You know, I, I still remember the very first years that we started fishing down south and Still, you go down and, and fish Chesterfield and you have a lot of guys that are trolling and they look at you with a fly rod and they think you're out of your mind. Oh, right. Still lots of trolling with like just flat lures and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when, when they go by and you're, you're hooking fish after fish and all they're doing is moving around you, you know, pretty soon they, they come up to you at the boat dock and say, man, I want to learn how to do what you were doing. You know, and that's, that's what we've got to do. And if, if we have the old mentality that, that most of the public look at fly rotters as kind of somebody that's got an upturned nose. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, and that's showing people how much fun it is, and they can have that kind of fun too. Yeah, that's right. It sounds like there's tons of opportunities out there, yeah. What's your, we mentioned a couple shops, what is the closest or you consider your kind of local shop, fly shop? Oh, Jimmy's All-Season Angler here in Idaho Falls is, yeah, it's a great shop. I've heard that a number of times. Jimmy's has come up. It feels like that's one of the ones that people are like, oh man, Jimmy's. So what is, what is it about Jimmy's that, why is this, is Jimmy still there? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Galabatis, great guy, uh, great staff. You walk in, if you've got a material that you need to tie a bug with, chances are pretty good. It's in that shop. If not, he can get it for you. But you know, he carries, I mean, all of the bugs that are, are specific for this area. And it's, it's not like most fly shops when you walk in and you've got one or two racks. He's, yeah, he's got bugs coming out the ears. Uh, all of the equipment that you would need, carry Sims, Patagonia, all of the big names. Does he have some Stillwater stuff in there? Oh, you bet. And he carries, you know, Stillwater specific things, the things that I like. Uh, one of the things that I cannot leave home with when I'm fishing Stillwaters is a little piece of fabric that Sims makes. There's actually several manufacturers, but it's a stripping guard. You put it on... I put it on my, the middle finger of my right hand. And what it allows me to do is when I make that, that cast out there and I need to get the couple of strips in really quick, it allows me to strip fast and not burn my finger. But then as I'm stripping that bug in, there's a lot of times that if you've got 
bare skin on those fingers and you've got a wet fly line, you get that just that little bit of grab, that little bit of friction there. And those stripping guards make it so that I can feel really soft takes when normally all I'm feeling is that that friction of the wet fly line on my on my skin. So yeah, those are little things that he carries in there that are specific to what we we like. That's great. So I yeah, anything you want, he's got. Great fly shop. What are the things if you give us a little list of still water items, you know, kind of gear items that you like must haves out there on top of your rod and reel and all that stuff? Well, you got to have, I, I think it's funny, I, I saw a YouTube video of some guys fishing over in, in England, and they call it, you got to have your eyes and your peak, which you got to have your glasses and your cap to keep you, you know, so that you can shade your eyes. Yeah, got to have a hat, got to have my glasses, got to have my long sleeve sun hoodie, you know, and got to have my hood and sweatshirt. <laughs> as far as that goes, if I have that and I get out there in the boat, yeah. You're good. There's no, like, stripping... Uh, little tools or any other little things that you know that that stripping guard is is so important to have and your glasses are important i you know one of the things that i teach and and emphasize so much in my classes is that the subtle takes i think the difference between a good still water fly fisherman and a phenomenal still water fly fisherman is being able to recognize those real subtle takes and being able to react to it I would say probably between 40 and, well, 30 or 40% of the fish that I hook with my fly rod is almost more sight seeing my line change rather than feel it. Now, you know, tug is the drug. That's why I like to cast and retrieve. Is there nothing like that fish picking it up and just ripping on it? But, you know, I learned a long time ago that uh, I had an old-time fly fisherman when I first got into it on lakes. Uh, Bill Shish used to fish up at Henry's and, you know, I mean, he's he's the icon up there. He and who was that? Bill Schiss. He guided on Henry's Lake for years and years and years, and then had BS flies. Bill Schiss flies, and is that sh- how do you spell that? It's S C H I E S, I believe. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. But anyway, he wrote a book on fishing Henry's, and and uh, just you know, it's still, in my opinion, when you're fishing Henry's Lake, that's kind of the Bible. If you can get your hands on that, and they still it's still in print, they still sell it. You can find it at Sportsman's or Cabela's. And anyway, he taught me that when that rod goes in the water, when you're fishing, and this is back when we were fishing in tubes a lot. And so my rod would go in the water. And, and a lot of times I was frustrated because I would feel just a very soft take, but it was usually when that fish was expelling my bug. And so if I hooked him, it was just a sting. And I learned, he taught me that if your rod goes into the water, if in a tube where you could balance it a little bit on the front of your tube, if you'd lift it up out of that water just a couple of inches, that droop of that line going into the water, every time you'd make a, a, a strip, it would tighten that loop. And then, of course, on the when you're relaxed, that little, it pauses, you know, and it droops back down towards the water. Well, there were a lot of takes that I learned that if I saw that not relax at the end of my strip, I'd give another strip set and it just blew my mind how many fish were at the end of that line when I do that. And so now, you know, standing in a boat, my rod tip is always in the water, but I can watch the little S's of my fly line in between my retrieves. And there are so many times that I'll just see one of those S's straighten just a little bit or just twitch, give it a quick strip set. And yeah, it'll just surprise you how many times that was a fish that was making it do that. And now you're getting to fight a fish, but if you can pick up on those real subtle takes, 
that's just another one of those puzzle pieces that makes you a better stillwater angler. So that's it. So and then one of the examples we talked about intermediate line, you make your cast, you count to thirty or whatever, you get down towards the bottom, you know, and then you start doing your strip, your retrieves. And you probably have a bunch of different types of the retrieves, but what you're saying is between those, you just, you're watching your line. So as it's, and if there's anything weird or different happen, you're, are you setting the hook when that happens? Uh, yeah, just a, a strip set, you know, that anytime you've got a sinking line under the water, if you're trying to trout set or just raise your rod tip, that's pretty tough. Now, if you've got an indicator on, that's a different ball game. But yeah, you just you strip set. And, you know, if you just do a quick soft strip, set and it wasn't a fish or it was just a weed then you're just pulling through that no big deal you can continue your your retreat if you raise your rod tip now you're pretty much done you're gonna have to recast but yeah that uh you know depending on you know i mean there's so many different things you can slow your retrieve down you can lengthen or shorten your leader and that will affect your sink rate on your line and that can affect how fast or how slow you can retrieve your line all those different things yeah like phil teaches it if you put a bug on there and, and you're convinced that that bug will work, change your retrieve is the very first thing you do. Uh, you know, if you think that you're at the depth, that's most important. If you think you're at the depth that those fish are at, find that, that bug and that retrieve. And yeah, sometimes those days can be just fun. And what's really fun, Dave, is when you're in a group of guys like, let's say you're at Chesterfield or Hebgen or Henry's and you've got four or five other boats around you and you're the one that figures out that puzzle piece. Then it's fun. I mean, there's days when you almost feel self-conscious because you're out there and you're the one that's figured it out and nobody else has. And so you're hooking fish and they aren't. So Right. That feels pretty good. That's part of the, the fun competition of it. <laughs> are you letting, when that happens, are you uh, saying, hey, here's what I'm doing? Or are you keeping the secrets pretty tight? You know, for the most part, it's funny because I think most of the guys out there, there's that group of guys that are hungry to learn and, you know, they'll come up to you and you know, motor over or kick over to you and say, what are you doing that, that we're not, you know? And those kind of guys, I absolutely love to help. The problem is, is most of the guys are, you know, they, they get sure of themselves or they've had a good day out there. And then pretty soon they, they don't want your help. They think it's, you know, it's, it's not cool to ask for help. And that's, that's wrong. You bet. If people ask for help, I'll help them. Right. Yeah, for sure. Nice. It's a lot funner when you've got three or four boats and everybody's giggling because they're hooking fish rather than everybody glaring at you because you're the one that's hooking fish, but you don't want to share. That's right. Yeah. No, I'd rather share and everybody have fun. Nice. Well, I think we're going to probably have uh, some follow-up on this because, you know, especially if we head out that way. Heck yeah. Definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch here. Um, maybe give a, I like to kind of do a little, a uh, couple of random artsy stuff as we get out of here. One of them is have a fun time with music. So um, do you have some music that, I know you've been listening to podcasts, but when you're not listening to podcasts, what type of music are you listening to there? Oh, I don't know. Pretty tough to beat Luke Bryan and hunting, fishing, loving every day if you're going to go fishing. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, I'm I'm pretty much all around. I, I love my old hard rock, you know, my old Sticks, Van Halen, ACDC type stuff. But Van Halen with uh, with uh, David Lee Roth or the oh heck yeah nah yeah I'd rather have him yeah yeah, I, yeah. I'm a David Lee <laughs> Roth fan I think he was dang talented with that voice yeah that's right perfect yeah that music's pretty pretty simple but yeah if we're gonna go on a long trip it's usually you know we'll, like I said we take several trips down to Pyramid and we'll revisit all of the podcasts that we can find on Pyramid Lake while we're taking that nut dry. There you go. Well, well, you're going to love this one. This is a good uh, little heads up I'll give you is that uh, on Phil's next episode that he's working on now, he's going to be interviewing 
one of the guides out at Pyramid. Oh, cool. So it'll be the first time on the littoral zone that Phil actually interviews somebody else. So that'll be, I'm excited for this as much as anybody because I want to hear Phil as the interviewer, right? Like, oh yeah, that'll be, <laughs> that'll be a treat. And that's, that's such a fun lake to talk about. It is, I mean, everything from the conservation story of getting those fish back in that lake to the opportunity to the, the way we fish for them. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a cool place. And that's one lake that can absolutely, absolutely humble you. Last March, a year ago, we had such a great trip down there, me and my son. And I went back in October uh, with my wife and I was just, oh, I was so excited. And that lake kicked my butt. Yeah, windy and it can get cold, right? And kind of nasty. Oh, yeah. And the fish can hold in different spots and, you know, you can't reach them. And Are you doing the ladder thing or are you out there in your boat? You know, yeah, no, I, you know, that's, that's one place that, that I haven't taken my boat yet. I will. However, that, I had a, a scare on Henry's Lake a few years ago when we had the fires and I had a storm move in on me and I was all alone out on Henry's and, and, uh, man, I thought I was going to cash it in that night. Uh, and that really spawned a respect for the weather. And I've seen the weather on Pyramid go from glass uh, to catastrophic in minutes. Oh, wow. Right, right. In fact, you know, last time we were down there, not to take a lot of more time, but uh, we had a, a problem with our truck. And the guy that came over from, from Pyramid Lake Lodge and picked us up while we were getting our truck fixed, drove us down so I could uh, visit with the sheriff about my truck sitting a Pelican overnight. Anyway, he, as we were driving out there, they've got this big holding, you know, fenced area that that they keep things in anyway there was a really nice big old truck and a boat trailer there and he says yeah a couple of years ago this guy washed his boat went out went fishing and a storm came up and he never came home we haven't found his boat nothing wow and so here's this really nice big old dodge ram with this big nice trailer and it just is a really good reminder to Crazy. people that man if you don't respect still waters uh, yeah, storms come up, they can turn awful ugly. So what happened on this, uh, Hebgen Lake where you almost cashed it in? Oh, it was on Henry's. Uh, or Henry's. Yeah. A couple of years ago we had, you know, we just, the stuff right on the Montana Idaho border there caught fire and the way the wind rose up there, it, yeah, Henry's was a smoky area that whole summer. What year was that? Uh, this was two years ago. It would have been, yeah, 21. We drove through that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, we. The storms usually come from the southwest over Sawtell Mountain, and uh, it was so smoky, I, I couldn't see anything. And oh, I was all alone on a pretty popular part of the lake, and I was catching a few fish and having a good time. And I was wondering why I was all alone, and then I heard some thunder, and I couldn't see the thunderheads coming because of all the smoke. And by the time I heard the thunder and realized what was happening, uh, I could see it marching across the lake. and got everything pulled up and got a life jacket on and then put another life jacket on like a diaper because I just, I knew, you know, you get it. I don't care what kind of 16 foot boat you've got. If you get out there in six to eight foot swells, that's scary stuff. Wow. And I finally limped over along the, the bank, uh, just, you know, keeping the nose into those waves as they were pounding me. And finally, after a half an hour, I got into a place and, uh, waited it out but it, it taught me a very valuable lesson and that's don't yeah don't don't turn your back on what the weather's doing yeah right right that's crazy so you and that was that in the 16 foot in that klamath 
Yeah, that was in my Klamath. And I mean, it's got a- Which has a good nose. I mean, you could take those in the ocean, right? I mean, some oh, of those yeah. They're, it's great. It's got a 77-inch wide beam. You know, I mean, it's as stable as any little aluminum boat you can get your hands on. But it just, yeah, that that night scared me bad. Yeah. Huh. Taught me a good lesson. There you go. Wow. Good. Well, it's good you uh, survived and still have the boat going out there. Um, well, give us a couple, just a couple more and we'll take it out of here. Uh, if you're going there, we talked about some lodges. What would be a good place to go? What would you make if we're going to get a nice dinner one night? Where would you go out there in that part of the world? Oh, goodness. Uh, on Island Park Reservoir is the the Lake Shore Lodge. Oh, nice. And it's, uh, it's very well known, but they have got a great menu. And I am a cheeseburger connoisseur. Yeah. And they still to this day have one of the best cheeseburgers you will ever get. Perfect. At the Lakeshore Lodge, yep. And it's cool. It's In the summer, that's a place you got to visit. You know, they got a cool little bar. They got a great deck, a big fire pit out on the on the shore of the reservoir. It's just, yeah, it's world class. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, my kids love cheeseburgers too, so yeah. do I. So we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to set this up. But then uh, in that part of the world, Eastern Idaho, who's a famous person that's like a name everybody would know that's kind of either from there or there are a bunch or there are any? Oh, my gosh. You got a yeah. You got a bunch. You've got uh, Mike Lawson. You've got uh, Jimmy Gabetus. You've got well Bruce Staples, in my opinion. But then you got Renee Lemke, Ron Cordes. You know, then Bob Jacklin. Well, Bob Jacklin. Yeah, he's got a shop up in West. Yeah, we just talked to Bob. Yeah, we got Bob. Yeah, and you just you just had an episode Blue Ribbon Flies up there too. Yeah, with Craig. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Craig, that was great. Man, talk about a story. Yeah, he's he's been around forever. Uh, Bill Schiss. Do you remember that town? Do you remember when uh, you maybe didn't go there much, but Craig talked about- Oh, you bet. Uh, you remember when it was like, a, it sounds like it was a, uh, it was almost like the mob was running the town. You know, and, and we never stayed in West Yellowstone per se. I mean, every once in a while, my family, my mom and dad would take us up and we'd stay there, but we were campers, so- you know, we had a little, mom and dad had a camper, and, and if we went into Yellowstone, we, were, we weren't we were staying in West. We were going in or else we were going to stay at Hebgen or Island Park Reservoir or someplace like that. But yes, it, I remember the old West Yellowstone and how rowdy it was. And uh, yeah, I can, in fact, <laughs> huh. uh, I could tell you a story about the sheriff one night up there. Uh, what what shit? You mean Craig? Yeah, way back in the day, and I'm sure he probably doesn't remember this. But Let's hear it. He, he might. <laughs> As a youngster, we were up there, and uh, yeah, me and a buddy of mine had been in uh, hopping around at the different places in West. And when it came time to drive home or drive back over to Henry's, it was yeah, it we weren't supposed to be driving, and so we pulled off onto a little shoulder of the road just right outside of town, and I mean, right outside of town. And uh, yeah, the sheriff knocked on our, our window and says we couldn't we couldn't park there, and I says well. I can't drive any here anywhere. And he says, well, buddy, all I can tell you is I'm going to get in my car and turn around and go back into my town. And when I come back out here, you can't be here. Huh? I said, that was pretty cool. So we drove about a mile down the road and pulled off into a little grove of trees. And that's where we stayed. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's pretty funny. But yeah, when I heard his podcast about how he worked with everybody and wanted everybody to get along, that's a true story. It is. That makes sense. Yeah, everybody. That the West Yellowstone is a fun town. Yeah, it is. It's a cool town. And uh, and so your camper. So tell me this. I'm interested in the camper stuff. So what was back in the day when your parents? What camper would they have? 
Oh, my mom and dad had a 16-foot aristocrat lowliner. It was a little teeny camper, and it had, you know, you could pull the couch out into a bed. That's where mom and dad slept. Was this like a pop-up, pop-up top? No, it wasn't pop-up. It was a hard top because in West or in Yellowstone Park, if you wanted to go in there and park in the, in the campgrounds, because of the bear problems, you pretty much had to have a hard-sided camper. There's only certain places that you could take a pop-up or a tent. And so, yeah, mom and dad always, they had that little aristocrat lowliner and it was a... What year was that, do you think? I want to say that camper was a 70. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him now. So the risk, yeah, and that's a total, I mean, that's a camper that I've seen. Yeah, you, you've just seen it. it. It's Yeah, and they were little, you know, you couldn't go up the second part up to the where the couch and the bunk bed was without banging your head. Oh, there was a bunk bed in there. Yep, at a bunk bed, my, yeah, I had five, uh, we had five kids in my family, and so we had to fit them all in there. And so, wow, we, uh, yeah, we doubled up on beds, but gosh sakes, the memories of taking that out while we were fishing for salmon. My dad was a big salmon fisherman. You know, he was addicted to big fish and that's where I got it. But yeah, every summer it was several weeks out on the middle fork of the Salmon River or on the Lemhi River chasing salmon. And then chasing what kind of salmon? Kings, Chinook. Oh, it's Kings yep. up on the, wow, way up high in the, this is way up there. Yep. The farthest, farthest inland run of fish other than the Yukon River is our anadromous fish that come up into Idaho. Yeah. Are there any, what's that look like now? Are there some Chinook still coming back there? You know what, we're going to, you know, they'll have a token fishery this year, but generally speaking, not really. Not really. And sockeye too, right? Sockeye used to be a, a huge run of sockeye. Yeah. Sockeye used to come into Redfish Lake. We used to get a ton of oak there, but now, you know, because of the obstacles that they've got to face going in the ocean, it's, it's pretty tough to get a return. Yep. Yeah. It's just, it's so far, it's a challenge. That's what sent us to Alaska is when we lost our fish runs in 1978 down here. Then we, you know, we wanted to keep fishing for them. So into Alaska we went. Oh, that was it. So 90, yeah, you started in 91, right, to Alaska. Yep. 1990 was my first trip up there. And then. And that coincides with, it's interesting you say it because, you know, I'm down lower Columbia, right. essentially down below you, right? So I, and I, we've talked to people all the way up to Columbia and to Canada too. We've, we hear all these different stories, but. I remember in the early 90s because that was when the Endangered Species Act yep. got implemented for a lot of species. And it wasn't just salmon. It was in pretty much everything, like a lot of stuff in the Columbia. And it was tough. Yeah, I think the spotted owl was probably the first thing we had slap us up there. Yeah, that's right. The spotted owl was the big. That's what got the, the publicity was the spotted owl yep. and, and the whole thing. But it, it really was the start of, you know, it was a cycle, right? It's, it's all cycles. So it's up and down. And we saw we were down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You know, it's funny because over the years with our steelhead runs, uh, we had several programs. We had the Shoshone Bannock uh, do a program up here in the old holding ponds of where they used to mine up the Yankee Fork. And their program was tremendous for several years, but then they they backed off of it. So Right, right. Gosh. A lot of history. Amazing. Yeah, it's great. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Darren. I think that... Um, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to circle back around with you because uh, this is going to be a place we're going to spend some time here this next year. And Yeah, you need to get up here. Yeah, this is good. I'm excited to follow your journey and, and definitely watch your website as you keep growing that thing. And um, yeah, do you want to just give it, I mean, I, I guess I always like to look out a little bit over the next year. Are you going to be anything, any shout outs you want to give to anybody listening here? What you got going? 
Well, the, you know, the, yeah, my shout out is to everybody that likes to fish Stillwaters. You know, go to stillwaterfishingco.com and look at our gear, look at our message, you know, become part of our culture. We need to get the younger people fishing, and this is, I mean, there's, there's nothing better than to, you know, grab a little boat and grab your grandkids and take them out and watch them just come unglued when they're fighting fish. That's just, they're nothing better. Yeah, Stillwaters are awesome. And your website is, um, it's uh, Stillwater Without the Vow, so it's stlwtrfishingco.com, right? Exactly, yep. And our, our logo has that Stillwater Without the Vows in it. It looks pretty cool. That's right, it does look cool. All right, Darren, we'll uh, be in touch with you, and thanks for all your time today, and uh, definitely excited to see what you're uh, up to next. All right, thanks, man. Darren Huntsman on Travel, part of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast and Swing Outdoors. This podcast is supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast right now by checking out Eastern Idaho, and you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton, T-E-T-O-N, Check out any of the brands and uh, companies over there and let them know you found them through this podcast. Don't forget to check in with me if you have an area around the country you'd like us to travel to. Also, a quick reminder before we get out of here today, the Euro School trip is planned for this year. Um, it's sold out, but I want to give you a heads up. If you're interested in finding out more, you can check out uh, wetflyswing.com slash Euroschool. That's EuroSchool and uh, enter your name and we'll save you a spot for next year and check in with you on that. All right, before we get out of here, let's take a quick look at the website. Let's take a quick look at Yellowstone at uh, yellowstoneteton.org right now. I'm clicking through past the bunny rabbit and uh, let's take a look what we have going here. I'm going to just bust down to, I'm going to start actually, what did we do last time? Regions, Idaho Falls. Island Park, Rexburg, Swan Valley, Teton Valley. We talked about all these events calendar. Let's go to guides. Let's go to guides and outfitters, and then let's go to travel tools, travel guides, maps. Let's go to guides and outfitters. All right, what did we check with last time? I do not remember. Let's see who we have left to chat with here. We've got quite a number of things here. Um, oh, you know what we got coming? The Henry's Fork Lodge. We got Mike Lawson coming up soon. We're going to be circling back around with Mike Lawson. That's going to be amazing. Um, we had him on quite a while back. We're going to dig into another topic. Uh, we got, uh, I think, uh, the lodge at Palisades Creek, the Henry's Foundation, the Henry's Fork Foundation, and uh, yeah, there's a number of places still that we could look at. Let's look at. Let's take a look at hunting. Let's look at hunting guides. There's not as many, but uh, we got Juniper Mountain Ranch. Okay, okay, and guides and outfitters. There's a bunch here. Let's take a look at one random one here. Rocky Mountain Elk Ranch, Rexford Motorsports. Let's take a look at that Diamond P Ranch. Let's take a look at this Rexford Motorsports. I'm interested to see what this is. Here we go. Guy doing a tabletop. Exactly. That's the mad, that's the greatness. I love the tabletop. And there's a guy doing a flip on a snowmobile. And then there's a, uh, like a four by vehicle. But the tabletop is amazing. <laughs> That's it right there, doing a tabletop on a motorcycle. So uh, there's a little bit of information here. Um, you choose where to ride. So there's some different areas you can ride. That's like Rexburg Motorsports. So there you go, Rexburg. And uh, and what else do we have here? So a ton of fishing. I mean, there's a ton of resources here. The point is, is that there's tons of diversity here, whether you want fly fishing, uh, some of the outdoor winter sports, lots of lodges. Um, so check it out. Uh, head over right now, wetflyswing.com slash Teton take a look and let me know if you've been over there. I'd love to hear if you've been to one of these 
uh, locations. All right, that's all I got for you. I am going to head out of here. I hope you're having a great day, a great evening, a great whatever it is right now. And I hope uh, you enjoy this episode of Traveled. And I hope you get a chance to do some traveling and experience that road less traveled. Talk to you soon.